Hello, this is the Blast Report podcast on all things blasting. My name is Evan Tebow with New Wave Consulting, and I want to thank all the Drill and Blast teams along with those supporting them who are out there on the pattern. The production team at Blast Think and I would like to welcome you to today's episode of the Blast Report podcast. This, you know, this is the Blast Report, and we've got Tom Palangio here, and uh, we're going to just, I really want to hear kind of your story on how you got in the industry. Okay. You know, what's, you know, you can look at your, your past record is very impressive, but what, what really kind of got you into the explosive industry at first, you know, I mean, it's really, really nice, um, you know, starting out at, at DuPont, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's well, as you know, you've been following the explosive industry for a while. And you'll find that most of the people, once you're in it, you can't get out. It's like the mafia. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, a lot of good people uh, from a lot of different areas. And uh, You don't get the bullet in the back of the head, you know. No. And t- take the, uh, what is it? Take the, take the cannoli. Leave yeah, the gun, take yeah. the cannoli, you know. Yeah, no, I, um, I, study, I studied architecture. And... Um, sort of came at it like that and then I worked for a couple of different uh, outfits, uh, government type outfits, uh, central mortgage and housing and uh, and then I worked for uh, hydroelectric uh, utility for a while and then uh, I had an opportunity to start to uh, get a job with uh, DuPont at uh, in North Bay at Nipissing Works and uh, we were making all kinds of explosives nitroglycerin-based, uh, blasting agents, water gels, the whole nine yards. I mean, they were the king. Right? Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, it was basically in Canada, it was uh, DuPont and CIL. It was the, they were the king. And uh, a real great company to work for. I mean, DuPont uh, was, was an innovation company and, and probably so far ahead of its time in terms of uh, how they treated employees and everything else. So it was a really great company to work for. But how did you, uh, what what made you go from architecture into, I want to work with DuPont and chemicals of explosives? Like, was it? Well, my, my architectural background, they, they wanted, to, they were building facilities and, uh, and they were renovating and remodeling existing. And uh, you, you get into a design group you know, you're called upon to do all kinds of mm-hmm. things. And and it wasn't only architectural stuff, but there was a lot of mechanical engineering stuff. But, but when you study architecture, you, you get into strength of materials and you get into uh, structures and loads and all the rest of it, which which really serves you well when you get in the explosives industry because you're dealing with uh, wind loads and seismic effects and, and all kinds of other things. So, uh, but you, you kind of eased into it. Um, I worked in that design group for a while. And then um, I switched over to uh, a division called uh, Field Operations, where we have uh, 
we had bulk sites throughout Canada, and from right from coast to coast. And these are these are sites where you actually manufacture explosives on site and pump them. But again, every time you get a contract for that, you have to build a bulk site, and you have to uh, go through all of that. And this was a starting with the um, prior to the emulsion. And we're talking with the AN solution all the way to yeah. the entire creation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Most of the most of the bulk sites were water gels, and uh, yeah, it was, it was some handful, but not, not that much. But but a major major customers, you know, that uh, in the coal fields were cast blasting, and uh, yeah, it was it was really uh, a good learning experience. You got to travel a lot to the press country. You got to you know, working various uh, various operating conditions and that, so it was never a dull moment. And, uh, I worked there for quite a while, and then I had an opportunity. There was uh, there were some changes going on, and um, I got into a, a, a technical service group. And uh, well, actually, I missed a step there. Whenever. Whenever we would need to do something, like maybe we had to use explosives ourselves, uh, we always had to bring in a local contractor or something like that. And I, I suppose I, I took the initiative and I decided to get my own blaster's license. Oh, that's yeah. first mistake right there. Well, <laughs> it was good for me because, uh, yeah, I went to the Ministry of Labor and I wrote all the exams and everything else. I think I was the only one within the DuPont organization that actually had a blasting license. Wow. I mean, just because you make explosives doesn't mean to say you know how to use them or anything. Absolutely. You know? It's absolutely true. So as soon as I had that, at the time there was, a, there was a, maybe a sensitive job or, or something we needed to do ourselves, then I was the one to do it. And, uh, and then I ended up in a, what they call a technical services group. And, uh, and actually a our boss was in Wilmington, Delaware. So, I mean, this was DuPont's main headquarters, you know, and that gave me access to pretty well all of North America. So, so it was interesting. And we, the people at, uh, at Wilmington, uh, a real good bunch, and, and some of them were absolutely brilliant. I mean, there were people there that worked on the Manhattan Project. And wow. um, just to work with them was a real treat, you know, mm -hmm. so much. And uh, some of the kind of giants in the industry, I think, uh, recall, like, now the names I'm getting blank, but the, <laughs> uh, Al Andrews was one of them, and uh, Klaus Rucker, and uh, it just went on and on. But each of them had a specific expertise expertise yeah that was you know that was neat so i learned a lot and uh and you had an opportunity to travel and see explosives in all these different applications as yeah. well right well and and yeah because i was the sort of practical field guy mm -hmm. you know if they were developing a product like i remember they were developing a product for trenching and trenching can be quite quite fussy because you can find and everything else. And, uh, Absolutely. And uh, so 
uh, I remember going and troubleshooting those applications and making sure we were doing it right and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so that's where again my expertise came in and my experience and everything else. So. So it was, it was good. With, with trenching, that is a very demanding because not only is it a fast pace, but the rock in one hole five feet over is not the same in the next hole. The conditions are well, yeah, and, absolutely insane all the way across the country. Well, in, in many cases, too, uh, you're, you're quite close to built-up residential areas. In fact, you could be in a, in a subdivision. And uh, so, yeah, you you want to minimize any uh, adverse effects, and yet you want to be able to pull the bottom in one shot. Without, uh, you know, and in many cases, we like to leave the overburden intact, uh, just the muffled noise and fly rock and everything else. And uh, so, sometimes you really uh, you're hoping that the, the hole's where it's supposed to be, where it's going, mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be. So. And uh, the the movie. Um with a Kevin Bacon uh, that was oh, I'm blanking on the movie here T- Tremors oh yes yeah. that was made right those Tremors were made with trench style blasting yeah. a lot of people don't know that you know they all love that movie yeah. but they didn't realize that that's some of that is venting yeah. some of the hole you can see in the movies well, it's really neat when you initiate a shot like that to see how it's going the, the explosives in those applications have to be quite uh, quite rugged and uh, withstand high uh, high shock and, and pressure. <clears throat> you're going to get failures, you know. And uh, so at least it was the and and these are the days too where we didn't have the, the, the fancy digital detonators that we have now. It was uh, you know it was electric, and uh, there was a certain amount of scatters. You you couldn't shoot it as fast as you really wanted to because of because of overlap. And, uh, so anyway, lots of. Uh, Lots of challenges and lots of experience along those lines. So, did um, when when you came into that industry and you saw how uh, the variables were constantly changing in 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 explosives, did that intrigue you? Did did that add to some of the interest? For me, I think that that's something that I, I really enjoy about the industry is, you know, no rock is the same. You know, and you can have this uh, a blaster. Um, you know, operate this one quarry and they've got 40 years of blasting experience at this quarry. And, you know, you ask them a question and you, to your eye, it looks like very uniform rock. And then they can say, you know, it's an art form, you know, trying to, to work with that rock. And then you have blasters in construction who are just never in this, you, they're not even in the same rock one day, right? They're constantly changing. So is that something that you really enjoyed? Was that, was that, or is that something you kind of... Yeah, well, <clears throat> those, those are some of the unknown variables, or at least sometimes they're unknown. Um, the geology yes, has, has a big effect on, on you know, the, the outcome. And uh, yeah, so, and then actually that leads us into a couple other things. DuPont was was one of the innovators in that uh, they they came, they acquired a blast model. It was called Blaspa, and it was made, uh, introduced by a fellow from the Royal Military College uh, called Dr. Favreau. And uh, I think at the time, and this was fantastic for those days, they actually paid a million dollars for that. 
Blaswa program. And uh, so they were looking for a way to actually determine what the outcomes would be before you shot. And they were looking for a way to actually validate the model. Because, you know, there's various thermodynamic programs and stuff like that. If you know how much energy you're putting in, and you know, rock characteristics that you can kind of predict an outcome. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was very theoretical. You know, how are you going to, how are you going to validate that? Yeah, all the professors, everybody says it'll work. But in the field, will it actually work? So I kind of got involved with that. There's a saying, you know, you, uh, uh, you, you have to be able to measure something before you can really manage it. Right. And, and how do you measure the results of a blast? Uh, I've been on shots, you know, we load it up and it goes boom and everybody kicks a few rocks and says, what do you think? Oh yeah, it looks okay. But these are just adjectives. What the hell? Absolutely. The shot that you think is good, I might think is really poor. You're absolutely it right. On our background, you know, and everything else. And, and, and so it became obvious to me and I'm sure everybody else that, uh, we needed a way to quantify blast results. Uh, it's meaningful if you say, uh, you know, 60% of the material is under three inch. That means the same to you and me and everyone else. Uh, but these adjectives like uh, poor, fine, or good mean absolutely nothing. Does it dig? Yeah. You know, usually diggable i like how they there's we put a bull at the end of ability blast ability dig ability you know, i i love i love that when i got into the industry learning all the terms like that we actually did in st louis i think we uh, we actually designed a blast we shot it and we sieved the whole blast wow imagine i think it took three and a half weeks and wow but we said that we do every particle generated in that what what screen it would pass through but that is an insane level of detail it, it's nuts like nobody could you know you that's takes deep pockets it's never been repeat yeah and and you know dupont like i say put that money into research to be able to to validate things and uh, i actually it led me into a way where I, uh, I knew that the University of Waterloo in Canada had developed uh, a system for doing measurements based upon imagery. And I thought, well, it might have some potential. So I got in touch with uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. John Franklin. And what, what Waterloo did was they were taking pictures even satellite imagery mm -hmm. of, uh, of the ground and, and by enhancing the image, uh, we're actually able to determine things like underground aquifers, uh, you know, jointing all kinds of stuff that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to see, you know, this is like LIDAR imaging or just actual It was just it, satellite. They, they used a lot of, uh, the spectrum, like the, okay, yeah. everything, when it's exposed to light, gives off a certain 
spectral response. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I approached him, I thought, you know, it's, maybe is there some way we can use imaging instead of sieving or counting or doing stuff because it's a lot easier. Like <laughs> the shovel. And <clears throat> and he had an undergraduate student, uh, uh, Norbert Mertz, and that's Dr. Norbert Mertz now, and he actually uh, he actually was a university professor uh, in uh, Missouri afterwards Mm -hmm. but he came up with this with this uh, idea and way of using imagery to measure particle size and he used what they call weep which is the waterloo image enhancement project or process w-i-e-p and when we tested it for measuring blast fragmentation we, uh, we shortened it. We called it wood frag. Wood frag. So, uh, so it would be the Waterloo Image Process Fragmentation Analysis Program. And with that, we would take, and these are the days when we didn't have digital cameras, right? Right. You'd take a picture and you'd, you'd print it and you'd put it on a, you'd put it on a copy stand. And you'd have another camera that would look at the image, and it would it would define the edges of each and every particle that was in the image. And then you'd go through various algorithms, and you'd get the size and the shape and everything else, and you'd end up with the result. And it was sure as hell wasn't instant like it is today, <laughs> but but it sure was a lot easier than bombing tons and tons of material, you know. Absolutely. And. Uh, and, and it wasn't perfect by any means. In fact, a lot of manual editing was required. It, even when I got into the industry, I, I, I would use the color mustard. I, I, that was the color that I would delineate when I would check because it was the least offensive on my eyes after hours of okay. drawing at your sketch. That was, yeah. uh, I remember that very, very well. So you would have to do this inside the software with not on digital. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big, that was a big advancement. And, and, you know, when you're selling explosives and when you're, when you're servicing a client, it's really nice uh, to be able to benchmark when you first arrive to see what they're getting now and, and to actually uh, introduce them to a design and a pattern and a sequence and a product that will enhance or improve what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, our motto is you can't manage what you can't measure. And if you can show a client improvement, uh, it goes a long way. And it actually points out if you're having a a product application problem, you know, maybe using the wrong explosives for the particular application, you know, right away. And uh, and so that's... You can really settle a lot of arguments between... Blasters on the bench too. Yeah. Oh no, the stemming shouldn't be like that. Or, you know, like these were the days when real large accounts would actually invite different explosive manufacturers to come in and have a test shot. And I remember going to shootouts uh, all over North America, um, where maybe Atlas would be there, you know, Dupont would be there, Austin would be there. Like all of the major explosive manufacturers would be shooting. 
and you you would go and watch them like yeah yeah, yeah. so it was yeah. like a big show well and yeah and so oh that would be kind of fun the cast blast that was on was just it was unbelievable i down in san juan new mexico i had it was a big shootout there one time i was down there with high-speed cameras and everything else to measure the cast it wasn't just fragmentation it was the, the cast and everything but that's how you that's how you won or lost contracts mm -hmm. based on your performance which was it was a change in the industry because before that it was cost. Oh well, you know it's your your info's cheaper, so mm -hmm. you buy it. But you know what? Sometimes the, the low cost product isn't the best. So. And and now you could you could quantify that. Yeah. Um, that you know I always hear the term downstream. It's downstream, right? And I I remember one of my first jobs. The the mine site would not provide with quality stemming they didn't want to dilute the ore and so they filled it with cuttings and every single shot you just watched energy fly into the sky yeah. you know and you're just seeing all of this waste wasted energy yeah. and you know when it comes down to utilizing new technology you could prove to them that they're wasting this is just direct waste going into the sky and uh, there was no way to justify it before. And you just, like you said, you have to give them numbers and monetize it in order to do that. And and so when it when it came to convincing people of this technology, was that was that an interesting subject that you had to, you know, not everyone is always open to new technology, right? There's slow, slow change. Was there some sort of <clears throat> tricks that you would do other than just with data to convince people to adopt this new technology we're always talking about adoption curves and what what would sell people on this or they would think you're just a uh, coming in feeding some new technology that costs too much money um it depends it depended on the sophistication of the client some of them some of them looked at the whole process as being pretty simplistic. Um, if if you're if you're a construction contractor or something like that, I mean, maybe uh, uh, as long as you can get the rock out safely and effectively, that's it. That's the end of the game. But particularly when we get involved with mining clients and stuff like that, that have to. Uh, I mean, the, the the blasting is just the the first part of the comminution process. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get that material out. Uh, explosives, uh, because of their shock value and everything, are the most efficient way yet of you know, reducing the size of rock. Um, but if you don't blast it well, then your, uh, then your material handling costs go up. The maintenance on your, on your loaders and everything go up. The crushers and the grinding and the milling, if you're in the mining process, they all go up. And and so, you know, if you if you just look at the drilling and blasting, it can give you a false economy. Oh, you might save a couple of holes and some accessories and some explosives, but when you pass that material downstream, I mean, you're just paying all kinds of money that you didn't have to if you would have blasted properly in the beginning mm -hmm. and 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 when you look at when you look at that is 
is not just a bunch of discrete steps, but when you look at the mining process as a whole thing, yeah, I can save people. In fact, I've went into places and I've tried to sell the technology uh, and they say, oh, that's pretty expensive. And I'll tell you what, uh, I've told a couple of them. They said, I'll give it to you for nothing. I'll, I'll put the cameras in here. I'll do all that type of stuff. And it won't cost you a cent. But I want 5% of your savings for a year. And when they start to do the math, they say, no, no, we'll buy one. <laughs> because it, it's unbelievable. You know, your maintenance costs, your energy consumption, those types of throughputs, what are we doing? I but love again, that. It's a very good method. Yeah. But without without numbers to work with. And that, that was the, that was our motto too. You can't manage what you can't measure. Mm -hmm. It would be, you know, to, 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 to sell it like that and to build a contract based on that, I would think would be kind of hard with all the different variables. But that at that point, they start to really think about what actually is the price of it. And if you can. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I kind of got a little ahead of myself too, because I, I stayed with DuPont until I think it was, I think it was 90, 1990. And, um, and then I decided things were starting to change in the explosive industry quite a bit. It was mergers and, and DuPont become Explosive Technologies International or ETI. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and had lots of, you know, lots of changes going on and everything else. And um, I thought, you know, with the with the knowledge I have now, the expertise and everything else, I'll, I'd like to start my own explosives consulting business. Congratulations. That's a big step. And I wasn't sure how successful I'd be with that. So I actually went to the, uh, to my buddies then at, at Waterloo, uh, and I said uh, to John Franklin and Norbert Mertz, let's form a company and market Whipwreck. And they said, okay, we put together a company. We went. I, I also had a contract. Put it this way, I had, when I worked with DuPont, I, I was either part of or I had quite a few patents my name on them and they belong to DuPont but I think there was a they were a little concerned that I might leave and work for a competitor or something like that so I signed an agreement saying that I wouldn't work in the explosives industry in North America for three years and uh, so that was good and so where did I go I went to uh I went to Panama. Wow. I'm just outside North America. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is widening the Panama Canal. And uh, there's they're having some problems. Uh, not big problems, but, but minor issues. And, and it's with explosive products they're using. They're using, you know, commercial blasting. Agents. And uh, the problems involve things like they're not being able to uh, 
to get the depth they want to parts of the canal. Mm-hmm. And the cruise ships were going through and they were getting oxides and nitrogen. And some of the people on the ships were feeling nauseous. And almost every cruise ship in the world is white. <laughs> but once you go through that, you might be more like orange or brown. Oh, really? <laughs> staining, you know? Yeah. And it's a bit of a problem. It was an interesting job because uh, they really did it right. And, uh, you know, they had to get all kinds of snakes and, and uh, are they crocodiles or alligators? I know one of the two, anyway, mm-hmm. in there. And, and, and the, the area had been used for many years as a, as a test site for, uh, for aircraft. So they had dropped all kinds of munitions through there. Through your drill patterns, essentially. Well, through, through the hills and stuff like that that we were taking out. So that was interesting on its own. We had to get people uh, side by side going through with metal detectors to find this stuff and before we get in there and start drilling and blasting and doing wow. various things. So it was, it was an interesting job. And, uh, and uh, I, I was actually uh, working with an old friend of mine, too, who's uh, no stranger to the explosives industry, Frank Cipetta, mm-hmm. with Blasting Analysis International. And, um, and after that, I went, to, I went to Peru, and I did some work for, uh, for Inex. No, no, EXA. I did work for EXA. And uh, some of those Peruvian uh, jobs, uh, copper, uh, really, really big mines and, and, and good people. And again, helped them with the, uh, helped them with the plastic applications. And after that, I went to, uh, then I went to Chile and I worked with NX and helped them in, in a whole bunch of different different jobs. When you work as a consultant, you know, you're kind of a free agent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those companies need an outside set of eyes to come in and just see what they're doing. And just because the design, you know, says that the pattern is this, you have, have to go on the bench. You have to measure it yourself. You have to make sure that they're priming it properly. You have to make sure they're using adequate stemming. All, all of the variables. Absolutely. And it's crucial. It's it's hard for locals maybe to do it or, or, or to have the same perspective as an outside set of eyes comes in and says, Hey, you know, why are you doing that? You know, yeah, everybody has their own way of doing stuff, but you have to ask yourself why, you know. And uh, and then I actually went to I went to South Africa and I did some work for Sassol. And uh, and then after that, I went to Australia, and I did work at Hammersley Iron and uh, in a few other places. And by that time, the three years was up. Oh, okay. Okay. So Every the green morning, light, you got the green light now. I got the green light now. But by that time, I actually, not only was I selling my, my consulting expertise, but I was selling wood frame. I was selling the technique, the measurements, you know, the equipment, everything to take pictures, analyze them yourself and do that type of stuff. But it was funny because I, I actually had an international distribution network 
but I had no domestic business because I hadn't been <laughs> allowed to work, you know, mm-hmm. which is, which is really, uh, it's back ass work. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. <laughs> to go international first. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so that gave me a unique perspective on it. Uh, and actually I, I like to help domestic producers uh, that want to break into foreign markets because I know how to do that. I did that first, yeah. and uh, and you develop relationships, and uh, you know it's uh, it's good. I, I I really love the explosives industry, and it's it's been good to me. And uh, I hope I've been kind of a, uh, help helpful. Oh, absolutely. For a lot of people that are moving on. Well, I, I've you know personally seen seen you you know support uh small businesses and and not just younger younger people in the industry but you can really tell what you what your company and what uh what you and thomas have done for for people it's a a lot of support and there's we thank you for that we thank you for that well it's it's a labor of love you know so many good people in this industry and i think i've been a member of the ISE. For probably, it's getting close to 40 years. Um, in fact, when I joined, it wasn't the ISEE, it was the SEE. It wasn't international yet. And uh, yeah, it's a long time. Well, we are really lucky because today it's your birthday. Today's my birthday. Imagine that. So happy birthday and thank you very much for coming on and, you know, some more years in the explosives industry and hopefully we can, you know, you can keep with a smile. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blast Report podcast. I want to thank the team at Blast Think for producing this show and please follow along for more episodes in the future and share this podcast with your colleagues so we can continue to honor our industry and the people in it. Be safe and have a blast.